Today's Bible verse is from 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 15. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master's servants and did not go home to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open field. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as I live, I would not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fierce, then withdraw withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. morning. Thank you, Tom, for, for sharing that. Um, might need to turn the volume down a little. I'm not sure. So uh, before I start, just a couple things. Um, I know you guys were praying for me when I went to visit my mom. Uh, it was a unique experience. Um, my mom recognized that I was someone she knew but didn't really know who I was. That was a bit of a struggle, I have to admit. Um, What I had hoped for, of course, was that she was professing Jesus and I could witness to her and share and all that, and unfortunately uh, nothing so uh, glorious happened at this point. But she's in a nice place, she's comfortable, Uh, we're praying for her, and despite my struggle with that idea, I felt like God was kind of telling me, don't you know I care about her more, like more than you do?
so uh, I guess I'll just keep praying and uh, trust that God's word is true and that he's going to make happen what happened. The second thing that's kind of interesting, and this probably goes to God's sense of humor, is, is that some of what I'm going to share today is about comfort. And I find it slightly hilarious that it was pouring out. My feet are soaking wet and itching like crazy, and I am so uncomfortable. But we're going to, we're going to walk through this anyway. Um, thank you, Lord, for that mini-message. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, Uriah the Hittite today. Um, just a recap. Um, we've been talking about uh, lesser-known characters of the Bible, and of course, if, if your name appears in the Bible, there's certainly something significant about that, so we want to look into those and see what lessons that they can teach us. Um, we have talked about uh, Benaiah and the courage that uh, he showed. Hagar uh, demonstrated to us the faithfulness of God. Jethro was a great illustration of the friendship that he had with, uh, with Moses. And Lydia, uh, last week, um, showed that the uh, Holy Spirit can take something completely ordinary, which is technically all of us, and make something happen that's absolutely extraordinary. And this morning we'll be talking again about Uriah and his loyalty. So uh, I, I know you guys uh, probably all heard this message before. Um, we're going to try to look at it with a little bit different perspective today. Uh, Basically, when I read this, my typical feeling is, David, how could you do something so awful? And, oh, poor Uriah. Today, we'll see that the character of Uriah uh, really comes out in his circumstances. And we see how that might relate to our own lives and how we walk with God. So, a little history of where Uriah came from. Uh, so we all know about Noah. Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Uh, guys have heard about the curse of Ham. It wasn't actually a curse of Ham. He cursed Canaan. Um, Canaan uh, had three sons. One's name was Heth, H-E-T-H. And uh, his descendants were called the Hethites. And so apparently, uh, at least according to the sources I read, uh, people got tired of saying Hethites and felt that Hittites was easier to say. And so Hethite became Hittite. Um, this is interesting because, well, Hittites aren't really Israelites. Um, and therefore, Uriah or his family must have converted to uh, Judaism or Israelism. Um, uh, and so was probably very dedicated to, uh, to God. He served in the army. And so I would expect he was willing to die for his king and for his God. And incidentally, uh, Uriah actually means God is my light. So you certainly get the idea that Uriah was a devoted uh, follower of God. Um, we know that David had 37 mighty men. And Benaiah was actually one of them, as you recall. But Uriah was also one of the uh, mighty men, too. And we certainly do see the loyalty of Uriah. Um, Mostly uh, in just the few verses that we have in Second Samuel, um, David uh, called Uriah back. We know that David's, David's purposes weren't really pure, but from Uriah's perspective, perhaps uh, he was getting a little bit of respite from, from war and battle. Um, and we know that Uriah refused to go home. 
uh, we just read that uh, Uriah had said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go home to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I would not do such a thing. As you know, as we mentioned, Uriah was a soldier and uh, part of an army, and the army carried out the will of God, especially for Israel. He was willing to fight and die for his people, his king, and his God. And uh, we know that he was clearly a man of great skill, as he was one of the mighty men, that he was very honorable and loyal to both uh, David and uh, God. I have to be honest here, I'm not sure that I would have uh, followed in Uriah's footsteps as far as the loyalty. If I got a break from war, I might want to go home and hang out with my wife. Um, I'm not sure if I should be ashamed to admit that or not, but um, my wife brought up this uh, story, and I might share a little bit later. The first time I went to Haiti, we actually ended up getting on the plane, flying to Haiti, but we didn't land because there was an airplane issue. And they felt that if they land, they couldn't take off again in Haiti, and none of the people on the plane wanted to stay in Haiti overnight. So we flew to Haiti over the island, flew back, landed back in Miami, and they said, oh, we'll get us on a plane the next day. And so many of the people just stayed in the airport or stayed locally. I went home to my wife and my nice warm bed. So maybe I'm no Uriah. Um, anyway. Uh, so what can we learn from Uriah? Well, again, he's loyal and he's authentic. And so as I was studying for this message, the word authentic kind of rung in my head of what does that really mean? And so I was reading about it and one author had written, authenticity is the daily practice of letting go of who we think we are um, and embracing who we really are or who we're created to be. So the question I had to ask myself, and I suggest we, each of you ask yourselves, is are we who we are created to be? And honestly, as I was doing this, I, it was kind of challenging. I, I think this is a hard message and parts of it are harsh, but God just kept pushing me through it, so here I am. Um, so the question I, I kind of ask myself is, are we authentic in our walk? Are we loyal to the cross of Christ, like Uriah was loyal to, to David and to God? Do we forsake everything else for God's glory, or do we continue to make other things our priority? So you guys know that when we receive salvation, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, and we become a new creation. We're no longer citizens of the earth. We become citizens of heaven. And if someone were to watch how we act, how we talk, or knew how we think, sometimes I wonder if they knew, if they'd know that I was different, that I was saved, that, that I had the Holy Spirit. Would they know by looking at me that I love Jesus more than anything else? One example I found was, think of it as like a missionary. Uh, a missionary to Africa, for example, um, would leave America. He'd go to Africa. Perhaps he'd build a home, a place for him to stay, a shelter. 
but maybe he's the only American in the area, so he kind of feels out of place. He's a foreigner, and he's living in a foreign land on a mission. That's really what we're supposed to do. We are missionaries from heaven, and our mission field is earth. And so I think the message there is don't get too comfortable, don't get too attached, because this is a temporary place. We all want wherever we are to be comfortable and feel like home, but we need to remember that home is actually in heaven with Jesus. We need to keep our eyes focused on him and not on the here and now. So, what if God tells us to move? Uh, I think we've shared quite a bit about that because God did tell us to move. It wasn't a long move. It was just from Weston to Hollywood. But I got to tell you, I was pretty resistant. I like to say that's my flesh. I was like, I'm never moving. I'm never going to move. We're never moving. It's never going to happen. It's too much work. God changed my heart. So I like to think that I was obedient, but it wasn't a boom, God changed my heart. It took some time because I'm kind of stubborn. I guess stiff-necked like the Israelites. Um, but what was actually amazing is, is despite my resistance to look at the house we now live in, when I finally agreed, it was this overwhelming feeling of this is where you needed to be. There was no question when we walked in there that God spoke to each of us individually. And, and then the, the, the extra fun thing was that when we looked at it on paper and how are we going to do this, there was no way it was going to happen. It just couldn't happen. But God made it all work. And so here we are, a year, year and a half later, and we're still in the same house. So I don't know. I, that kind of stuff, I, I think, strengthens our faith um, and kind of encourages us to say, hey, Lord, what's next? But I think it's important that we still don't get too comfortable. And so I ask myself, what would I be willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? Now, clearly, and fortunately, we're not all called to sell everything we have and move to Antarctica and perhaps witness to the penguins or whatever else other opportunities might be there. But we have to wonder, are we being obedient to what God is telling us? Are we finding a purpose in him and for him where we've been placed? And are we seeking after Jesus? When you go away on a trip and you're on your own, I was thinking of when I was away on my trip, I'm really excited to get back and, and see my family, to see my wife. It's like just, just to see them. It's nice to talk to them on the phone. It's, it's fun. It's encouraging. But just to see them and be with them. And so God was kind of convicting me, saying... Do you feel the same way about Jesus? Do you spend time longing to see Jesus, to be with Jesus? Or are you distracted by all the stuff you put around you? I mean, technically, shouldn't we thirst after Jesus like a man wandering in the desert that needs water? Do we love him with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength? And here's a difficult question I came across. Do we want to die and see Jesus? Not just are we ready to die, 
Certainly not that we want to plan anything like that, but are we excited about going home? If God said today, this is your day, you're coming home to be with me, would we be excited or would we be sad? Would we have a lot of trouble letting go of all the things that we've surrounded ourselves with here on earth? Or would we be like the man that's described in Matthew 13, 44, where it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he sold everything he had and bought that field. So it seemed like the question that God was saying to me is, do we live like that? Or are we too attached to this world? So you guys might have heard this before, but I came across this example, hence the funky white rope I have here. And this rope is supposed to be like a timeline of our life. So the rope is only 25 feet long, but let's imagine the rope goes on forever because the rope is eternity. It's our timeline, okay? And so the white part is representing eternity. The red part is our time here on earth, okay? And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we living for all this time to eternity? Or are we living for the red part? And so that perspective is important because that's going to determine what actions you might take. Let's say, for example, that you're fortunate enough that you get a check from something, I don't know, a tax return or whatever, and maybe it's, I don't know, $1,000. So that's exciting. What can I buy with $1,000 for myself? That would me be living in the red part. But what can I do with $1,000 for people that have nothing? What can I do in obedience to Christ to serve others? That would be me living for my eternity. And so I think the world tells us, live for the red part. But Jesus tells us, let's live for eternity. And so we can do some really bizarre stuff that really makes us stand out, that makes us unique, that goes against our culture, which in God's eyes are good because we're living for eternity. But when people have the whole perspective as this is all you got, they're like, what, are you crazy? Well, yeah, I'm crazy in love with Jesus, and so I'm going to do what's for eternity. I'm going to serve him and do what's right for him. And so I thought about that a little bit. And sometimes, you know, when you're going on vacation in a couple of weeks, you're like, oh, I'm going on vacation in a couple of weeks. And so let's see if I have a pen. I was pretty excited about going on vacation. So here's my vacation right here. Okay, so that was like, bam, that was gone. You know what I mean? It's like, isn't that crazy? I was excited for that little blip, and it's already gone. I might be a little more this way, I don't know. Um, but it just seems so silly. And so the question is, is, obviously, it's not wrong to go on vacation. But the decisions that you make when you're there, are you there just because you want to eat too much or play too much or whatever? Or can you use that time, that opportunity to be obedient to God and serve others where you're at. And most of the time when you go on vacation, especially if you go somewhere like Disney, all the people are like expecting that they have to serve you. So when you can turn around and make a difference in someone else's life and serve them, that makes an impact. I think that's important. So that's how important that perspective is of 
not living for the red part. I think we need to live for the white part, but that's hard to do. So the question is, is what would we be willing to endure for the prize of heaven? The martyrs were certainly willing to endure some pretty difficult situations. What would we be willing to risk to gather with other believers or even to own a Bible if we lived in one of these countries that were so oppressive? There are countries where you get killed or murdered or imprisoned for gathering and worshiping Christ or for reading the Bible. What would we do if we lived there? Would I be willing to own a Bible? It's safe here. Hmm. Well, we need to remember that we only have one chance at life. Our decisions determine where we're going to spend forever. So we want to make sure that we make the right decisions. Make sure that we're not enjoying the here and now so much that we forget about our eternity. We need to spend our resources on the kingdom, not on ourselves. And remember, aren't we called to suffer with Christ? I'm not saying we need to go looking for suffering, but sometimes do we avoid our mission? Do we avoid loving others because of the possible consequences, what it might mean? Do we have boundaries? Boundaries so that we don't give too much or we don't love too much? What if God calls us and we don't answer the call? When I tried to think about that, that was, that was my first Haiti trip, which I already alluded to a little bit, but I put up so many boundaries, and God had called me for years to do that, and I had all this, well, but my wife has been sick, but, but I don't have a passport, but, but, I, but I can't get time off from work, but, you know, so on and so forth, and God orchestrated situation so that I could go, and it was a life-changing experience. I just needed to be obedient and stop arguing. I think I still argue. I like to think I argue less. I wonder sometimes, is when we stand before Jesus, will we regret what we did with our lives? What we did for ourselves when we could have done something for someone else? I don't think God wants us to feel guilty about our decisions. I don't think that he wants us to feel condemned but I wonder for myself, if I see all that I did and could have done, would I regret some of the decisions that I make? Could I make better use of the resources that God has given us? How would I feel looking back and seeing, I miss these opportunities that could have made a difference? And I thought about it. I was like, I don't care how big a house I get in heaven. I really just want to get there. But even more importantly, I, I want God, Jesus, the one that I love, I want him to be proud of the fact that I'm doing stuff for him. I want to please him. I want to glorify him. And I need to make that more important in my life. And words are important, but so are actions. I can't just say stuff and not do it. I need to avoid the regrets, avoid the missed opportunities. So how do I do that? I think Jesus was a great example. 
I think we need to bring pretty much everything to God in prayer and abide in Him. Jesus lived in constant communion with the Father. The Word tells us that. He did nothing unless the Father told Him to. Shouldn't we do the same? You know, our culture, our culture tells us to pursue the American dream. We need to remember that the American dream is not God's dream. The American dream is defined as a set of ideals in which we have freedom for prosperity and success. It's the tireless pursuit to gain more money, property, or possessions. We need to remember that Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. Jesus tells us that those who want to follow him, that his life is not built on luxury and comfort. Following Jesus means learning to be content whether you have a lot or just a little. I think Jesus would encourage followers in America to trade the American dream for the incorruptible dream that God has created. This is the life that we're meant to live. What did Paul say about authenticity? We know from Scripture that Paul didn't achieve uh, perfection, but he certainly strived for it. Talking to believers, he had said in Philippians 3, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach or their earthly pleasures. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. When I read this, I was a little taken aback. Paul is talking to believers in the Philippian church. And he says, many walk as enemies of the cross. That suggests to me that many people that sit in church, not necessarily our church, but many people that sit in church are enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. And why? Because their God is their stomach. Their God is their themselves. Their glory is their possessions and their appearances, and that is their reward. I think that's a hard message for us to hear. I think we need to realize that we need to focus on Christ and not be distracted at everything around us. Certainly we know what we want to hear. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We do not want to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. We have one life to make those decisions. We must be authentic. Don't fool yourself. Don't fool me. And we know that you can't fool God. So how do we do this? Well, our life must be gospel-centered, not me-centered. Our lives should model humility and not pride. As I tried to do this morning, we need to be vulnerable and share our struggles. We need to ask each other for prayer, and then we can see how God answers our prayers. And that makes us attractive to people that are struggling without those answers that don't know Christ. We must be sincere. If people can't trust 
you and you're trying to lead them to Christ, how can they trust Christ? So we have to avoid hypocrisy. God wants us to live authentic, imperfect, messy lives before a broken world so that others can see Jesus redeem and transform us into his image. So make Jesus the Lord of your life and your priority. Stop sinning if you are. Not an occasional mistake, but if you have a habitual sin. And if you need help, confess. Seek other believers and ask them to pray for you as well. Fellowship with other believers. The Bible tells us it's important to get together, to encourage one another, and to correct one another. Clearly, we need to obey the commands of Jesus Christ, and we need to love and obey the Word of God. If you are not reading the Word of God, you can't know Jesus. In conclusion, Matthew 16.24 says, Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Remember, there are wolves that look like sheep, thorns that look like grapes, thistles that look like figs, and there are non-Christians who look like Christians because of their words or their good works. Our words and our works should be a reflection of what's in our heart. Recall when we started that we talked about Uriah. He's a man of integrity, loyalty, and honor, and devoted to our God. He did forgo comfort and pleasure out of respect for his leaders in God. We are called to do the same. I am sure that Uriah fought bravely, and imagine he was rewarded richly in heaven for his devotion. Let us live to the same level of loyalty and devotion to God as Uriah did and glorify Christ in all that we do. Lastly, I just want you to reflect on your own and ask yourself, what have you done this week that matters to Jesus? The second question is, how much time did we waste this week doing stuff that doesn't really matter at all to Jesus. And so that you don't spend much time beating yourself up is what can we do this coming week that does matter for Jesus? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your instruction. We know that sometimes your messages and your words are difficult, God, and that the kind of cuts to the core, but that's the intent, Lord. We're called not to live like people of this world, but people, citizens of heaven, God. You have sealed us for salvation. You love us. You've sacrificed for us, Lord. We're called to do the same. Help us to love others the way that you do. Help us to be obedient to your word. Give us a passion for your word. Help us to incorporate those words into our heart and help us to live it out. Help us to give all the glory to you and all that we do, Lord, and praise you each and every opportunity. Help us to live for our eternity, not just the short time we have here on earth. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' holy and precious name.